1: Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Matt Eddy, I am John Manuel. I'm John at John Manuel BA. He's at Matt Eddy BA. About new, time. New Twitter handle for a new season in 2013. Matt Eddy, uh, less gratuitous than the uh, Game of Thrones, but uh, more information, packed with more information. Um, and we got big news on the Twitterverse today as we get ready to record this podcast, talking about spring training storylines and, from the, of course, from the BA point of view. But Matt, uh, the news breaking as we're Recording that Justin Verlander has signed this mega contract that includes $28 million annual salaries, if the early reporting is to be believed, which I have no reason to not believe it. Um, Justin Verlander, a bumper crop of a contract here to put in the BA parlance. $28 Twenty-eight million dollars a year. Hello, David Price and uh, Clayton Kershaw. They're very interested in this news.
2: Yeah, uh, it's especially interesting in the backdrop of the Johan Santana news we we heard about yesterday. Right, the fact that his uh, Mets career is over and his baseball career might be over as well. The
1: moment of silence for Johan Santana's career. Talk about that. that's it. <laughs> oh, that's sorry. all I got. No, that's sorry. okay. <laughs> that was all I got. I mean, uh, wonderful career and amazing to uh, basically it ended. You know, for all p- intents and purposes, the 90 threw that 134-pitch no-hitter.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, he was uh, completely ineffective afterward, and um, he will be this season as well.
1: And you wonder, From a pitching I mean, standpoint, the ball that was fair, yeah. who hit it? Carlos Beltron Beltran. Beltran. Hit the ball that should have been ruled fair, was clearly fair, mm-hmm. uh, ruled foul. So he winds up, uh, you know, obviously uh, Santana finishes the no-hitter, and then, I mean, I don't know. You're kind of a Mets fan. From you, historically, I should say. Uh, I'm. I'm. Uh, my my roots are. I was a Red Sox fan. Your roots. You were a Mets fan. Was it worth the trade of a first no hitter in franchise history for the injury to Johan Santana? No. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm sure <laughs> Johan Santana thinks no.
2: No. Um
1: now the Mets have uh, Jonathan Nice as their opening day starter.
2: Yeah, the question: How much uh, value? I guess Carlos Gomez turned out to be the best player they surrendered to acquire Santana. He's on his second team after the yep, trade. Yep. And I think Gomez's value will surpass Santana's. Maybe.
1: I think it over might the, over the
2: course of their. No, Santana was good for three years. So.
1: Carlos Gomez has got a big, nice contract, but uh, Kevin Mulvey. Philip Umber and uh, Diolis Guerra no longer in this conversation for the Twins, so, or for anybody else.
2: Coming to a Triple A park near you.
1: Well, we we are going to talk some Twins. We're going to talk about them in the second half of the podcast when we talk about the non-contenders who are relying or uh, bringing up some rookies to start the season. But we wanted to focus on the contending teams first, Matt, because it is a unique combination when you have a contending team that uh, puts a, a rookies in, in important roles. We've had some teams do that of late. I think the most obvious example, of course, was the Giants and Buster Posey, the biggest anomaly of all these—a rookie catcher hitting four-hole, leading a team to a World Series championship as Buster did in 2010. And Bumgarner. And Madison Bumgarner. It's a 20-year-old is a starter, very key starter uh, on that World Series role, and obviously they helped with another one uh, last year. But you know, even last year the Giants were not nearly as rookie-centric as they had been in 2010. Uh, but in 2013, I think some legitimate contenders. Really putting a lot of stock in in, in several rookies. Uh, the three that jumped out to me were the Atlanta Braves, St. Louis Cardinals, and Texas Rangers. Maybe we'll just go in alphabetical order and start with the Braves. Where yeah, first of all, the way they with the trade they made uh, with the Diamondbacks and the other roster moves this offseason, season, you know, Tommy Hanson being traded to the Angels, a couple other deals, um, Brandon Beachy's injury. The fifth starter role was right there for Julio Tehran. They traded Delgado to Arizona in that deal. Uh, Julio Tehran, who had a terrible 2012 uh, in AAA. I mean, a lot of regression, regression with his numbers, regression with the quality of his stuff. But he fixed it as Ben Ballard wrote a nice winter ball piece this year with Tehran, uh, really improving, uh, honing his mechanics a little bit more in winter ball. Got off a terrible start in winter ball. Then it clicked. And his last three starts in winter ball were tremendous. Uh, one ERA in spring training The spring. Uh, the craziest stat that jumped out to me, Matt, was 26 spring training innings, seven, seven hits, hits allowed yeah. with 35 strikeouts and nine walks. And they're spring training stats, so obvious, obviously Caliat emptor a little bit, but uh, what was your take on Tehran's spring and on the importance the Braves seem to be placing in him?
2: Yeah, The Braves must be thrilled that he sees the job rather than them having to concede and say, ah, we've got nobody better right uh that, I think that was a big step for the for the franchise and for uh you know, confidence level. you know it sounds like he's kind of smoothed out his delivery a little more and gotten um i guess, I guess the best way to say it is more more conventional I he think that is he doesn't kind of jump at the hitter as much as used to uh that should be good
1: i like i like his br- I've always liked his fastball change up combination yeah definitely it sounds like his breaking ball has gotten better. Uh, this spring and it's always been an issue for him we've talked about that as a profile that's a tough profile that right-handed pitcher with a substandard breaking ball um, previously I think we thought that Tehran's fastball was electric enough and he threw enough quality strikes with it that he could have the two plus pitches of fastball and change up and maybe wouldn't be an ace but would be a, a solid big league starter now it sounds like he's made the progress of the breaking ball um, you know right now he's on a rotation with Hudson Medlin, who had a rough spring, Mike Miner, Paul Maholm, uh, you know, Julio Tehran has a chance to really be a key factor for Atlanta. I-, I like his chances of having a a good rookie season. I'm also higher, I think, than most on Evan Gaddis, Eloso Blanco, as his Venezuelan winter league nickname went, the White Bear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, Gaddis, first of all, I trust Dave O'Brien of the Atlanta Journal Constitution. I think he's pretty erudite in these matters. And everything he's seen and talked to people about with Evan Gaddis, he was always on board with Evan Gaddis. But now, Matt, with uh, Brian McCann starting the year on the minor on the disabled list with his shoulder surgery, and who knows how long he's going to be out, you know, feel like Evan Gaddis is going to get a lot of chances to catch. You could have another. You, we mentioned the Giants. Here's another team that could be going deep with a rookie catcher and a rookie battery in some postseason games potentially for Atlanta.
2: It would be fascinating to see if he does actually catch Tehran and, and how he works with the, the veterans, the rest of the veteran staff. Uh, but, yeah, a guy with obvious power, as we right. saw all throughout last year, even up to AA, Winter League, the spring. Incredible story, as you were talking about his Twitter feed the other day.
1: Right, he has his Twitter AVI with a picture of him from when he was working for like a, as a, a janitor, essentially, yeah. uh, uh, cleaning the office buildings at night.
2: No player may have more humble beginnings than that. Uh,
1: I think the Braves have especially cornered – I mean, let, let's just look at their team as the mixture of the, the backgrounds of these guys. Andrelton Simmons was a second-rounder mm-hmm. out of Oklahoma Junior College, thought to be an overdraft at the time.
2: Thought to be a pitcher so, at the time. That's
1: right. Certainly wrong on both counts. Uh, you have your, your premium guys in Hayward, Upton, both Uptons, you know, 14th overall, first overall, second overall pick. Freddie Freeman was a second-round pick. Dan Ugglo, rule five. Um, and
2: probably the highest-paid brave.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think he is uh, among position players. And I think Hudson might be the highest-paid guy overall. But then you've got you know Craig Kimbrell from a junior college in Alabama. Mm-hmm. I think he's the big question for Atlanta right now. He was not good for Team USA mm-hmm. in the World Baseball Classic, and he's been very iffy this spring. Um, but the, only, the the humble beginnings, I mean, I don't think it gets a lot, a lot more humble than Brandon Beachy and, and, and Evan Gattis on this team, the non drafted free agent, NAIA third baseman, or the twenty four year old when he was drafted, or twenty three year old who taken five years off and then was drafted out of the University of Texas on the Permian Basin. I mean uh <laughs> And
2: no organization works the waiver wire like the Braves. Look at this. Projected bullpen. Christian Martinez, Anthony Varvaro, Erico Flarity. Waiver claims.
1: All waiver claims. And Corey Garrett is a low slot joker from Mercer. Uh, who's been kind of stewing in their system, an up-and-down guy for the last six, uh, four five years, it feels like. Uh, it is an unusual uh, – all comers for the Braves. They they do not discriminate of where you come from. Uh, they, they're looking at what you do. So it's a pretty interesting ball club. And I feel like it's a contending team, but they're in a pretty stout division. And I think one of the reasons, Matt, one of the things that stood out to me in preparing for this podcast was how teams like Washington and Cincinnati that were division winners last year – And the Giants, really not a whole lot of room for rookies on these teams, especially Washington and Cincinnati. Very set rosters. Really the whole question was how they move their offseason acquisitions into their lineup, and in Cincinnati's case, what you do with the role as Chapman. So uh, I think it's rare that you have a contender like Atlanta that may be fairly reliant on on these two rookies, but when you really pull back a little bit, you have a fifth starter and a backup catcher. So they may not really be relying that heavily on them.
2: True. I mean, I guess the one question for the Nationals is, what happens if Rendon goes out and tears it up at Harrisburg? Right. And Espinosa continues to not hit as well as... Make (laughs) contact? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Because he does not make contact. He's uh, he's a swing and miss machine. What was it, 187 strikeouts last year? It's it's problematic. It was Jose Hernandez-esque. There you go. (laughs) Um, But the St. Louis Cardinals are number one ranked farm system, Matt. Another contender year in, year out the last few years has really done a tremendous job of uh, you know, using, uh, pl- losing veteran players, plugging in rookies, plugging in the right veterans or the right rookie. And here we're looking at a team that doesn't necessarily have a, a rookie that you haven't heard of in their projected starting lineup, although I guess Pete Cosma. It's going to be homegrown guys at shortstop, it looks like, um, with either Ryan Jackson or Pete Cosma as the starting shortstop. Who would you team. pick? Well, I'd kind of go with Matt I guess I'd take Pete Cosmo, but I, I wouldn't expect him to hit like he did in the postseason last year. I don't think they expect it. But Ryan Jackson's always been a guy who's been very well regarded for his defense. I know. And he's also an unusual guy. First of all, he's an unusual. and the, There are not a lot of American-born shortstops in the big leagues, A, so that's unusual.
2: He's the next Brendan Ryan.
1: He could be the next Brandon Crawford. Uh, I don't think he's that good offensively, uh, which is saying something. But he could he could be that smooth defensive. They were kind of contemporaries in college, and I think the consensus always was that Ryan Jackson was better.
2: Mm-hmm. And Ryan
1: Jackson was part of that 2008 University of Miami team. I Had to give my Jim Morris. But uh, on that loaded Miami team, Yonder Alonso, he has uh Grandal, Jamil Weeks. Uh, you know, Dennis Rabin, forgotten prospect. Yeah, prospects.
2: Mariner's second rounder.
1: Mark Sobolewski, Blake <laughs> Cody. It was a team that, you know, you were watching them as an amateur scout that year. Amateur scouts would say it's like, you know, you're turning in like a double-A roster. And mm-hmm. You're turning in like eight, nine, ten guys. I don't think Rabin's
2: gotten there yet, though.
1: I don't think Ba-bum-bum. a lot of those guys, I, I, don't, I think a couple of those guys uh, didn't get the double-A. You know, I think I would go with Sobolesky Ryan. might have.
2: I think I would go with Ryan Jackson. And just take the, take the one defender at shortstop in Strat parlance. That's right. Bat him eighth, tell him to just take, take, take in front of the pitcher and you know, you might you might you might get a, a salvageable on base percentage.
1: It sounds like the more you read these things, I you know, I don't cover the major leagues, so I'm not expert in these things. But the more you read about like it's it's a challenge to hit eighth. Mm-hmm. It's and this is one of the reasons why Tony LaRusso did some of the stuff that he did. Um but it's it's a challenge to hit in that eighth spot ahead of that pitcher where you're gonna get pitched around a lot and you can expand your strike zone. So maybe that plays into why Cosmo right now is the starter. Maybe it's a small factor. Um, I think the experience level is probably the biggest yeah. thing here. But neither of these guys profile to me, Matt, as an everyday shortstop on a championship team. No. So to me, their job is make the routine play as often as possible. But it's pretty odd to see a team with this kind of expectations and this kind of talent level with a middle infield of Ryan Jackson, Peter Cosma and Daniel Descalso as their middle infielders. Doesn't that strike you as surprising? Uh,
2: maybe if I hadn't seen the Cardinals last fall. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, this is a team that has really struggled to come up with an impact uh, middle infielder for a while. And uh, they
1: have Colton Wong yeah. uh, probably headed to AAA to start this year. He, I, don't, I Do not you see him being a factor in this roster as the year goes on?
2: In the second half. You know, I mean, you're, you're getting somebody with a lot of experience at second base, but Descalso, I mean, the same thing. I mean, Matt Carpenter is apparently... Capable at second, you know. I don't right. know that Wong really fits in. I think Carpenter's a better offensive player.
1: Right. Right now he is for sure. I mean he has much bigger power. Yeah. He's and he's obviously playing third base now with David Freeze's injury, um, which could
2: turn into a long term thing. Given Freeze has a back injury and he's got a long general injury history.
1: A long injury history. This is, there's a reason why this guy was a 23 year old fifth year senior at <laughs> yeah. South Alabama. I mean, this is not new for uh, for David Freeze. So. And the Cardinals also have their prospect depth really brought to bear here, I think, Matt, with the fact that an arm like Trevor Rosenthal with a minor league starting track record like his can be put into a bullpen where you have Jason Mott starting off the year on the shelf and you're still going to have incredible bullpen velocity with Mitch Boggs and yeah. Trevor Rosenthal back there. And then Shelby Miller in the five-starter role. I mean, Shelby Miller versus Julio Tehran. I mean, have been talking about these two guys as the best right-handed starters in the minor leagues for Three years—it feels like they've been in the same con- in that conversation.
2: Who has the better year?
1: I think Shelby Miller has the better year. Um, I like Julio Tehran, but I like Shelby Miller's arsenal a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he does have a little bit less, maybe, um, you know, minor league success compared to Tehran. He never had a year like Tehran had in Triple A at 20-year-old in 2011. Julio Tehran—the strikeout numbers weren't huge, but he was so consistent all year mm-hmm. against the older hitters. I still think the best is yet to come for Shelby Miller. I, I like the breaking ball better. so
2: Definitely. That's the big thing I would mention. In the second half last year, it was like 8-1 to one strikeout to walk. It was crazy. This is in the, in the Pacific Coast League. Right. It was old hitters.
1: That's right. It was old hitters, uh, hitters ballparks. We could probably talk about your minor league ballparks uh, in, in here if you want to. But, but to me, uh, he's also asked to do a little bit less in this rotation where you have Adam Wainwright with his Definitely. new contract. I expect bounce back from Jaime Garcia. Lance Lynn won, what, 18 games last year? Jake Westbrook, great veteran, uh, sinker ball type guy. Uh, I think Jake Westbrook is actually probably the guy who's most interested in, hey, who's my shortstop? Catch catch the ball.
2: Garcia, too, yeah. Right, right. Yeah.
1: But, uh, you know, Rosenthal in the bullpen, I mean, is there a more anticipated talent in a somewhat less significant role? I mean, that match (laughs) of his talent and that role is so odd.
2: Except maybe Aroldis Chapman, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's
1: like... Great uh, point. Um, he, he's he's uh, yeah. he's he's as fun to watch as anybody was in the post. Don't,
2: don't expect any negative regression for Rosenthal in that role. Expect him to be as good, not as good, but very, very good in that role. Uh, I completely As he was agree. last October.
1: From a fantasy standpoint, I mean, this is a guy he's going to put up. I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of fantasy league you're in. In a conventional league, a uh, middle reliever really doesn't do a ton for you. Yep. But if you or have if you need a guy to get you low ERA and help your strikeouts, there there you go. So yep. um,
2: if you're playing a holds league, this is
1: your guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I think you should have plenty of opportunities. Well, we ranked the Cardinals as our number one farm system, Matt, and we should probably talk about those farm system rankings in a podcast as well. Um, but number three, we had a real tussle at number two and three. We had, wound up going with Seattle, going for more short-term value with Texas uh, uh, organization, top thirty that you did. Uh, with more of a long-term value, and showing the depth, I guess, of the Rangers' farm system. The number 19 and 20 prospects both made the opening day roster in Nick Tepish and Leury Garcia. Uh, plus, Leonis Martin, not technically a rookie, but beating out an out-of-options Julio Bourbon in center field. First of all, let's talk about that center field thing, because usually, correct me if I'm wrong, but usually the guy, if it's close on talent... The out of options guy usually wins that job, but that didn't happen this year with the Rangers.
2: Yeah, I think that's because they're not close in talent. I think my team is a lot
1: better. But there you you, you are
2: correct. Usually they give the benefit, you know, because then if the guy plays poorly, you can probably sneak him through waivers and get him back to your Triple A team.
1: Feels like the the tools should be comparable, but it's I think it's the approach maybe that's not. Even though Bourbon walked more that's, than he struck out, this that's time.
2: fair. That's fair. I, you know Bourbon does have a pretty long track record of. Um, of not producing for Texas, whereas Martin has a short record of not producing. Right. But, um, but
1: a decent track record of producing in the upper levels of the minor yeah. leagues when he's healthy. So that's Martine, my big yes. question is that Martin has not stayed healthy. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you're Texas, the best part of this is that you do have a guy in Craig Gentry, you know you know what you've got there. Yep. A guy who can hit left-handers, a guy who can play defense, yep. it won't hurt you, fa- has found other ways consistently – to help a team win when he's not hitting. Yep. And that's a very nice fourth outfielder to have. So you can kind of have him job share with Leonis Martin. I think that works for them. Definitely. So, so Martine, they, they were
2: lucky to have Craig Gentry on the roster.
1: Right. And that, I think helped Leonis Martin make the roster. Because they're not going to ex- roll him out there and say, You know what, Leonis, we need you to go out there and pay, to have 600 plate appearances and carry the load center field. Yep. The expectations could be set low. And if he could uh, rise above them, great. But if he can give them 400 cromulent uh, plate appearances, Craig Gentry could probably take the other 200, 250.
2: Oh, so, yeah, definitely.
1: Um, so I kind of like that for them. But let's talk about Nick Tepish a little bit. I guess Martin Perez's loss is Nick Tepes' gain. And maybe I'm focusing too much on the negative here, but Martin Perez is now the fractured, uh, a broken bone in his throwing arm. Mm-hmm. This guy just seems like I, – I, mean, I know he's 20, 21 years old, but I mean – do you feel like it's ever going to happen for Martin Perez? Maybe in a different organization. Feels like there's a little prospect fatigue here. Not just with me, but with Texas.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, the stuff is major league caliber. Uh, you never know just, if somebody can navigate 30 starts in a season until they do it. Right. And and you know, and his minor easy. league track record does not give you a ton of confidence. His stuff does. You know, the reports, scouting reports, all check out. Um, you know, you never know. Uh, you're right, but a change of scenery may be required in some cases. Well what's interesting there is that Tepish beat out Justin Grimm for that rotation spot. Right. You know, Perez is on the shelf. Um but Grimm, right, he
1: didn't really beat him. Grimm was on that.
2: the forty man and uh Tepish they they moved on to the forty man to take that rotation spot. So that that's a that's a pretty loud endorsement.
1: In it my is opinion. a loud I think it is a loud endorsement. And you know, Tepish was a guy out of high school and a guy who did not have the kind of college career we thought he was gonna have. I mean, University of Missouri has, you know, had this nice back-to-back of, you know, the Max Scherzer, Aaron Crow, I'm leaving somebody out, but they had some big leaguers, one after the other, um, big league pitchers, and, and some big-time pitching prospects, one after the other. There was a stretch there, I believe it was seven um, uh, years in a row where they made it to NCAA Regionals, and the reason was they were built around pitching. Kyle um, Gibson, right? Kyle Gibson's one of the other guys who did not make the opening day roster for the Twins, but I think we expected to be there and again we'll talk about the twins later but you know Justin James is a, was a guy before all these guys who who made the big leagues but really it was Crow and Scherzer and then Gibson but right in this mix was supposed to be Tepish It mm-hmm. never quite came together for him talk a little bit of what, what can Rangers fans expect from Nick Tepish stuff wise
2: yeah i heard good things about him last fall you know i think their pitching coordinator really went to bat for Tepish saying you know he doesn't throw 95 like like a lot of our guys do but this guy's going to be a factor for us this year because he can pitch. And, and he, he
1: was right. <laughs> he yeah. kind of had that called. Uh, w- was there a secondary pitch that stands out for Tepish?
2: Yes. Uh, his changeup came a long way last year. That was kind of the hurdle going into 2012. He's got a uh, good breaking ball, good fastball location with sync, and now the changeup is you know, good enough for him to navigate a lineup a couple times.
1: And here's another part of uh, spring training that you have to really trust I think this is the case of the Rangers really trusting their evaluators mm-hmm. because you take a look at Nick Teppish's spring training line, and it is Arizona. It's Cactus League, but you see a 1.67 whip. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see a guy did not strike out a guy per inning. You really just can't go by spring training statistics, even with these guys are making, yeah. uh, who are making opening day rosters, can you, Matt? I mean,
2: No, the Arizona League is so funky anyway just because right. the conditions are so different.
1: All leagues in Arizona, rookie yeah. <laughs> level, fall league, this if, one.
2: If, if you're in the Southwest, it's probably uh, take it with a grain of salt.
1: I think that's fair. but uh, so I definitely agree with you. I thought Justin Grimm would be the guy who would, yeah, if there was a rookie spot to be had and Martin Perez was not available, I would have picked Justin Grimm as that guy. But so far, start of the year, Nick Tepish kudos to, to Nick Tepish for making the roster. Great story. It is a good story. A 14th round pick. I mean, he didn't let... Again, w- what he did in the past maybe helped make him the pitcher that he is today, but, I mean, that doesn't necessarily predict his uh, his future. The fact that he struggled for three years at the University of Missouri really doesn't mean anything. I think he
2: turned down big money from the Red Sox out of he high school. He did out of high school. He yeah. did,
1: absolutely. 27th-round pick out of high school, Oof. turned down above slot money. Um, and then you have Liuri Garcia. one of First of all, we have a nice story, and I actually didn't even get to edit it all. I saw the rough version, but
2: J.J. Mm-hmm. J. J. Cooper
1: on Rangers shortstops, but also kind of like... He's got a Rangers shortstop piece and then a what makes a shortstop piece. Um, but he was in rangers camp at the start of spring training uh, to research this story. And Leori Garcia, uh, I guess the way John Daniels put it was, how many guys can play center field second base shortstop and have an eight arm, eight speed, and maybe a glove? That's Leory Garcia to them. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a case of trusting your evaluators here.
2: Yeah, it's, it's hard to come up with a recent comparable of somebody who, who can handle center field and shortstop.
1: It's like Mike Martinez of the Phillies, <laughs> who's a Rule 5 pick, only Leory Garcia is better at all those things, yeah, it, it feels like.
2: I mean, his tools, like you mentioned, the area that he excels, he's explosive. Uh, you know, I, don't, you know, I don't think the Rangers are expecting much offense from him, kind of like Mike, Marti- Mike Martinez. Right, right. <laughs> uh, he does switch hit technically, doesn't really impact the ball from the left side.
1: And that's that, that's that's why it feels like I think you even wrote you, know, you did write in the handbook. Oh, look, this is his future role. Yeah. Is this is his versatility? Is the, his
2: path to the major leagues?
1: That's it. athleticism, and again, a guy who can affect the major league team without hitting. He can help you win games with his base running, with his defense, yeah. with his versatility. It's almost like the perfect
2: bench player. Now the team, especially American League teams, don't really pinch hit. Right. You're really looking for all those secondary factors. That's what you want in a bench player. It would right. seem. I mean, the Royals are are fixated with Gerard Dyson, for example. <laughs> um, I mean, it was all about surprise, I mean, right? Gar- Garcia is a much better version of that, in my opinion.
1: And Garcia has already played this role on a championship team. If I can bring it back to the WBC, because <laughs> he played, he was on the roster but hardly played at all for the Dominican in the World <laughs> Baseball Classic. But maybe it was a good thing he didn't play, so he uh, got out, was along for the ride and did not uh, get hurt. So, but I mean, like even when Hanley Ramirez. You know, got hurt in the championship game. They went to Miguel Tejada at third base. And Miguel Tejada, if memory serves, <laughs> it was almost a disastrous defensive miscue that he had. Uh, but Puerto Rico didn't have the offense to, to uh, take advantage of it. Right. But I think he made a miscue, a defensive play in that in that game that was uh, no bueno. Um, and so I almost kind of expected them to go to Leory Garcia in that case. But yeah. imagine your, your, your Leory Garcia... And you're saying, hey, you could be our third shortstop behind Reyes, Ibar, maybe our fourth shortstop with Ramirez, and we also have Miguel Tejada. <laughs> so, like, if you're a shortstop who hasn't contended for a, a MVP.
2: Wasn't their second baseman a no-name guy, too? Yeah,
1: exactly, that Cano fellow. So, I mean, not a lot of areas for him to help. And their outfield, again, if he's going to play outfield here, and they went through two left fielders. They played Ricardo Danita and Moises Sierra, so he didn't get any run over there. So... That was a pretty deep team, pretty fun <laughs> team uh, to watch. Uh, team they should put him on
2: the mound. Maybe you could have got, given him a couple of starts. Uh,
1: they needed starters. I'm not <laughs> sure, but he's got explosive arm strength. That's right. So, but I, I think he's right. a fast. He's got a five seven
2: frame. He's a profile starting pitching prospect.
1: There he, well, they, he's like he, we need to put him back to back with Danny Ray Herrera and, uh, <laughs> and Joe Ortiz. Yeah, you know, the last five foot seven guys <laughs> in that organization. They've they've uh, specialized in those. <laughs> it's a Baseball America podcast with John and Matt. Uh, Matt, the other I guess. Uh, are they? Are the Milwaukee Brewers a contender? I'm not sure to call them. I think I would call them a contender. They're on the. They're in fringe contention.
2: They're a contender for the wild cards. I
1: think that's they've got, better. They've
2: got Ryan Braun. They're going to score a million runs. That's the, the best home run park in the National League.
1: And they're going pretty heavy on the rookies. It appears to me. Um, I think the one we expected is Willie Peralta. You know, was in our top 20 rookies after a lot of debate. Actually, no, I think he fell just, just short outside of our top 20 yeah. rookies. A lot of debate. A heavily debated top 20 rookie. Um, but they also have a guy, technically not a rookie, but one of your favorite players, and John Segura. And I love the fact that right now, with Corey Hart Hurt and Matt Gamble Hurt, they may have Alex Gonzalez playing some first base for them, or Unesky Betancourt, <laughs> or former non drafted free agent, Blake Lally. Nice. I mean, this is a really, this is a pretty random, and you talk about, I guess if you're Canadian, you take players wherever you can get them, like Bob <laughs> Melvin will. But this is a pretty random roster in a lot of ways. And yet, I think it's a, Interesting roster and a, and a contending roster.
2: Yeah, if any team was positioned to miss Travis Ishikawa, this is the team. <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> they actually probably will miss it, Travis um. Ishikawa. You finally get Tom Hoddercourt fave Logan Shaper on here. <laughs> but it looks like, it also does look like they're going to have Chris Davis make this roster. And Chris Davis is a fun guy to go through the B.A. player pages, his old pages, and, and look him up. Because I believe it was 2006, he was our top player, high school hitter in the state of Arizona. He entered that year with a lot of helium was the rare Cal State Fullerton recruit who was not from Southern California. That didn't usually happen, especially under George Horton. I don't think it happens at all now. Uh, but they would not often go outside of Orange County even or wow. San Diego for players. Like it, <laughs> Fullerton South, that's pretty much all they had to do. And um, so he was unusual. and I, I think they were spending a full scholarship to bring Chris Davis out of Arizona and bring him to Cal State Fullerton, and he never quite produced at Fullerton. He was never, until his junior year, a consistent, everyday player, and was I guess it's based on his high school hype. He was a little bit of a disappointment, and all he's done as a pro is basically do what Kentrail Davis, who was a high draft pick, a Boris client, a million-dollar signing bonus guy Ooh. out of Tennessee, he's done all the things that Kentrail Davis was supposed to do, and right now it looks like he's going to try to overcome the – Right, right corner profile when you're five foot ten and don't play center field. Man. I mean, and don't have a,
2: don't have like you know seventy power.
1: Right, but he does have power. He does. He's got big power. Um, there's not really a spot for him on this team because uh, you know it's not like they're, they're going to move Ryan Braun to first base. But uh, this this team is a. Uh, there's some mismatched pieces here, but I'm, I'm fascinated to watch how. I guess I'm more interested in the Brewers than I should be.
2: Yeah, when you when you mention uh, Chris Davis, I immediately think of the Orioles, Chris Davis, right. the big left the big left-handed uh, donkey. Right, but right. In this case, we're talking about Chris Davis with a K, a
1: K H, K H, which is very unusual. The K H R I S first uh, name, and I believe it's technically it's Christopher. What uh, was your question? It's unusual. I'm, I'm, yeah, my <laughs> question is. Uh, am I too fascinated with the Brewers? They're they're probably not as interesting as I think they are, right?
2: Uh, I think the most interesting thing was that uh, Melvin's Canadian, and so are in and uh, Jim Henderson. <laughs> That's right. That's interesting. That's
1: right. And they they do like their Canadians uh, over there, and then of course they signed Kyle Loesch. I guess the other thing that they think they're a contender. Right. If you don't think you're a contender, you would do not give up your mid first round pick, that bonus pool money, and yeah. uh, you know, and, and go out just for for Kyle Loesch.
2: I mean, you have Ryan Braun in, your, in his prime. I mean. Go for you it. pretty much have to be a contender.
1: Go for it. And uh, I, I like their chances. I think they are a wild card contender. And Davis, uh, you know, getting back to him to, to finish this thought, it is Arizona, but he had six home runs in spring training. I mean, I know that's not Michael Morse with his nine home runs. But he did hit six home runs in spring training, and that uh, seems to have been what, uh, what put him on this team. So.
2: It's safe to say he surpassed Caleb Gindle on the death chart.
1: I think that's safe to say, and we did just get another Caleb Gindle org report where Caleb Gindle said, I've had bad starts before, but last year was three months. So, yeah, that's <laughs> how a How start. How about if
2: Hunter Morris goes out and hits well for Nashville for a month? Is, is he in the picture at first base?
1: I don't see how he's not. You know, I don't see how he's not. Um can you really contend with Alex Gonzalez and maybe UNESCO Betancourt and Blake Lally? I don't know the answer, but I would like basically? to find out. I think we're going to find out. And the best part about it is that at Tom Hod, Tom Hoddercourt, our longtime Brewers correspondent, does a lot of great stuff for us with the Almanac, uh, Tom's sardonic wit will be put to the test by this Brewers team, I believe, because uh, Tom <laughs> can make fun of anything, and I, for one, enjoy it when he makes fun of the Brewers <laughs> or UNESCO Bedencourt or these kind of thing, because he's not... A uh, snark guy. Right. He's an old-style sarcasm and just—it's uh, a jock kind of guy, not a snark kind of thing. And, uh, I tend to prefer what uh, Tom the way the way Tom does it. So. Yeah, I love Tom. Yeah, I think the uh, the jock personality plus the uh, Virginia uh, education equals <laughs> funny for me. Um, now, in the American League, outside of the Rangers, Matt, I didn't really see a contending team that was relying that much on rookies. The most interesting story to me, uh, maybe in this, because it was just me, was was the Jackie Bradley phenomenon with the Red Sox. Is that a good place for you to start with the uh, American League?
2: Yeah, I was I'm, I'm, I was the high man on Bradley in our you were. in our rookie meetings. I thought uh, he had a strong case to be at the back of that list. Uh, he just got squeezed out. I think you know, just with the potential injury or trade of Ellsbury, I think he was positioned to play this year, and now he's put himself in the discussion with his play in in Florida. But here's a guy with a 370 on base percentage last year in Double A, right? You know, in his first year of professional of professional ball, uh, what really sealed the deal for me was his manager last year with Portland said, so "This is a guy who's um he's not afraid of the big stage."
1: Was that John Bowles? Not John Kevin Bulls. Kevin Bulls. Yeah. I mean, that's and that is he and and you mentioned that to me because his of tools here.
2: and skills are apparent, but when you have that kind of that X factor in makeup, I think that makes a big difference for and, rookies in particular.
1: And I always made the comp to him out of college as a Mark Kotsay type player, mm-hmm. um, Mark Kotsay who played center field but wasn't a burner. Wasn't a profile center fielder in terms of his tools, but played center field because of his instincts and feel for the game and reads. And you read all those same kind of things in spring training. And then again, Mark Kotze makeup, leadership, toughness, grinder mentality. Jackie Bradley has all those things. Um, Then you throw in the fact that I think Jackie Bradley has more offensive upside than Mark Kotze had, and I, I know Jim Callis would not ever want to hear <laughs> that, because Mark Kotze is his all-time favorite college baseball player, and he would be yours, too, if you covered the 1995 Titans. I did not. That team went 57-9, and nine, and Mark Kotze hit 20-something home runs at like 450 and was their closer.
2: The All-Titans episode. But,
1: but Jackie Bradley, well, I love the Titans, but Jackie Bradley was those same kind of things without the closer at South Carolina, and if you follow college baseball at all, don't forget Jackie Bradley's 2011 year, his draft year, uh, when he came back early from the broken hand, and his first game didn't have great swings, but his second game back in the Colorado Series just jumped right back into it with line drives. I mean, that's one of the things that South Carolina specialized in in their three-year run in Omaha with two titles and a second place. Christian Walker did the same thing now in the Orioles system, and I happen to like Christian Walker more than most prospect guys do because I, that, 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 no, no situation phased him. Jackie Bradley is, is very similar to that, and... The defense, the way you read the same reports about mm-hmm. him defensively now, in pro ball, in the big league spring t- spring training, and in Double A, it's what every scout saw in him as an amateur. Uh, it's kind of an Albert Almora read for the go to a Cubs prospect who again is a center fielder without burning speed, without mm-hmm. true, without an eight run tool. This guy just gets to everything. He reads balls off bats as if he were an infielder and uh, that's Jackie Bradley and that he's a he's a very unique player who I think has good tools but just off the charts feel and makeup that's going to make him a really good player. Yes, absolutely. I, the
2: Kotsai comp makes sense. I don't think he's going to hit like 15 home runs. Probably Kotsai topped out probably near 15.
1: It feels like that's where Mark Kotsai ceiling was,
2: but so. you're going to get a lot of value with base running and on um, base percentage.
1: I think so. <laughs> and you know, it's if you're the Red Sox, it's a great player to come up with. It's a, pro- a great prospect to come up with as Jacoby Ellsbury's head of yeah. free agency and he's a very tough guy to get a read on because his peak, his 2011 peak is so much bigger than his other seasons, mm-hmm. and he's had a consistent inability to stay healthy over the course of 162 uh, games, and he's a Scott Boris client. And I mean, yeah. that all adds up to a very tough price tag, and if the Dodgers didn't have a million outfielders, you'd say he's <laughs> one of the Dodgers, you know? They so. can play
2: double-A with, with uh, Puig.
1: They can. That, that would be fascinating. <laughs> we probably, that's the other big spring training story, Matt. We probably should talk about Yasiel Puig, because he's a fascinating guy, and really, I mean, when's the last time you had a guy get spring training comparisons to Bo Jackson? <laughs> Physical comps to Bo Jackson. That doesn't happen very often, and it wasn't because he was limping with a bad hip. Or I don't think his archery skills were on, were on display for everybody, but did you get a chance to see him at all this spring? I only saw him one time on, on TV. I did not. Um, do you have a take on, on Yasiel Puig? I mean, what would you do with the Dodger or the guy who tore the cover off the ball like that? Still seems a little raw. Um, and then really doesn't have a place to play in the big leagues right now. Yeah, no kidding. In that outfield, that, um, the contracts in that outfield.
2: I don't really have a take because they signed him in in the context of having a set, established, expensive outfield.
1: I think the, so real, the what, real Do
2: they want to put him at first base?
1: I don't believe so. I think that what it looks like is especially with Adrian Gonzalez. <laughs> maybe, when, maybe when they signed oh. him. <laughs> maybe, maybe when they signed him, but it sure seems it, f- it feels like. First of all, they had to do. They wanted Adrian Gonzalez, I think, in that Boston trade last year, and they wanted Josh Beckett, and they had to take Carl Crawford as part of the deal. So they decided to swallow it because money is no object to these Dodgers, who also have a hundred million dollar uh, renovation of uh, Dodger Stadium that's finishing probably. Uh, you know their game. I guess their first exhibition game starts at 7:05. They're finishing that that renovation about 7:04. So, um, the, so the Dodgers are. Just pouring money into this team, the Guggenheim partners and Irvin Magic Johnson, all this. So last year, but before that, when Frank McCourt was under the team, I think just in an effort to to look relevant, they gave Andre Ethier this five-year, what was it, five-year's $80 million extension. And Andre Ethier's a good player. I'm not trying to bag on him at all, but I don't think he's a five-year $80 million player. And so now I will say he's the odd man out, because you already have Lefty bats and Crawford, who's on an unmovable contract, because he already got moved to the one team that will take him. And you have Adrian Gonzalez at first, kind of parked there. So I'm not sure what they could do with Ethier in terms of moving him. And then on top of that, um, you have Puig, who they signed. So the McCourts gave Ethier the too big of a contract like to prove to people that they were, hey, we do have actually, we have money. And we're gonna spend it and in, in, sell tickets. I
2: think that's a fair read.
1: I think that's what happened. And then uh, this is an original. This is not an original read. Then they had Puig last year. where They had money. They wanted to do what it took to sign Puig. And I think Ben Badler's criticisms of the Puig signing were fair from the standpoint of he was not a consensus big money guy. When you're comparing him to say a Jorge Soler, who was younger, thirty million dollars for Soler, forty two for Puig. He got so he got more than Soler. He's older, so there's more known, but also um, le- maybe a little bit less upside. You know, and a better name, right? He does have an interesting name, Generation Y Cuba guy. But on top of that, I think Ben's real criticism was that no scout that he talked to thought it was possible the Dodgers had that good of a read on Puig. Right? They'd seen him enough to spend that much money on him. Not that he couldn't be good. But just that it was very unusual, and they thought these scouts thought questionable to give him that much money on such a short look, because of how his scouting process went. And Ben detailed it in Mexico how there were workouts that got scheduled and then got canceled, and and this kind of thing. There was a lot. Of, it was kind of a circus atmosphere around signing him. But that all goes in the past with the fact that this guy's showing big time tools, a laser arm, huge power. It really sounds like it's just a matter of how much he can polish up his approach, and he sounds like he has a potential to be a Joanna Cespedes.
2: Yeah, so. I mean, we should make a, a bet as to which day he'll take his first walk.
1: <coughs> that hasn't happened yet, in spring training, has no. it? I don't have a cough button here, so I'm sorry <laughs> about that. But yeah, to me, uh, he is one of the most fascinating stories of spring training, and I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't know who, I don't know who the Dodgers would trade Andre Ethier to. The
2: Yankees already got their, their uh, corner outfield fix, right?
1: That's it. I guess so. <laughs> that, that would have seemed to be the That's team. That's the perfect
2: situation for each year.
1: And it is a great situation for it a may And maybe a couple
2: of years ago they would have done it. But the money now it just doesn't work for them.
1: I mean, when Curtis Granderson comes back, it's Granderson, Gardner, and uh, Ichiro. But you still have one power bat in that outfield. And Brett Gardner hasn't stayed healthy. I mean, he obviously missed all of last year. Ichiro is 40, if memory serves. And Travis Hafner's your DH is not a sure thing. Some of the Yankees have a DH who's set, although I suppose they're going to use Derek Jeter there quite a bit this year, probably more than Derek Jeter would want to admit. I mean, it's, that just seems like it's too much of a fit. But even so, we have the National High School Invitational going on here in our backyard, Matt. And I was talking to a couple of agents over there yesterday and and the days before. And the Yankees, just, I mean, they aren't spending. They're not gonna. I mean, the fact that they spent for Vernon Wells, I think that, that's actually probably something we should talk a little bit more about. Is that the most shocking thing of the spring training that the Yankees went out and spent for Vernon Wells? I, I know it's only ten million dollars, but ten but it, million dollars for Vernon Wells. It's shocking,
2: yeah, that he's ten million dollars better than Matt Diaz and Juan Rivera. That's <laughs> right. probably the most shocking thing.
1: That is because they crazy. could have those
2: guys for the minimum, but they said no. We want to pay thirteen million total for Vernon Wells. I think so.
1: And give up a guy – I don't think they gave up much in terms of prospect. But no, Kramer, no, no. Kramer Snead probably moves into your top 15 for the Angels. <laughs> did make the depth chart for the Yankees. Um, but it is it is just shocking to me that the way the Yankees have allocated their resources. Ben Badler not here to defend Brian Cashman as is his usual want. <laughs> but, I mean, doesn't it surprise you a little bit that they, they are willing to spend on Wells over those type of guys – and then weren't willing to spend in the offseason on Russell Martin.
2: Uh, I think the Granderson injury just in, – well, the Granderson and Teixeira had this compound effect of just scaring the crap out of them. Like, we have no power sources. Right. You know, and, now, and you A-Rod basically. and Jeter, it, just, you know, we just need somebody who can hit a home run from the once right every, side. Once every 10, 15 days.
1: I mean, you, and then the other thing is, uh, if they have success this year, if they're a good big league team, I think a lot of that's going to go to – a lot of that credit's going to go to your WBC MVP, Robbie Cano, and he's an impending free agent. And the Yankees are trying to stay away from that $187 million luxury tax. It's going to be a lot harder to avoid that with Robinson Cano as a free agent getting a lot more expensive, and he's far and away their best player, huh. you know, outside of C.C. C. Sabathia maybe, I mean, arguably. So what's your take on the Yankees, just briefly? I mean, do you, do you see this as a playoff team? I mean, you know, to share and that aren't out forever. They're just out until, theoretically until May.
2: Yeah, you know the the pitching and defense components of the Yankees could actually be above average.
1: You but know, especially starting pitching that right? could
2: keep them in contention for the first half.
1: And it's really fascinating that they're getting Mariano Rivera back. Yeah, what, what Rivera are we going to see? Because yeah. I mean,
2: I guess Nunez will be the shortstop uh, to start, and then. That Jason Nick plays third. Uh, who, who
1: plays third? Euculus, Jason Nix. Yucalus, Nix. I mean, I'm surprised I don't have Yucalus at first base. Right now, you're talking about Lyle Overbay getting first base. Don't forget Frank Cervelli and Chris Stewart. I know you love Chris Stewart. I love Chris Stewart. Cervelli <laughs> and Stewart are your catchers. Neither of <laughs> these guys have ever been everyday guys. And your four or five spots in the rotation right now are Nova and Phelps.
2: Yeah.
1: Nova had one... Yeah, I said... He's had two very interesting major league seasons where he won 18 games but wasn't really that good. And then second season where he had a... Terrible ERA, but he was probably better than his. His components were probably better than his actual ERA and his win-loss record. So yeah, uh, those, um, those we, guys are fascinating. The Yankee this is this is one of the more interesting Yankee teams. I'm fascinated to see what Eduardo Nunez does in an everyday role. I mean, I know.
2: I, I think they will be in contention through the wild card through the trade period.
1: I think so for a
2: wild card spot. I,
1: I think the biggest test will be can uh, Joe Girardi and their starting pitching can Girardi mix and match. And can their starting pitching kind of keep them in contention until Teixeira and Granderson come back? Because when they get those two guys back, and presumably by that time, Jeter at something close to what his full speed is as a 37-year-old shortstop recovering from a major ankle injury, then we'll see. I guess he's actually what, 38, I think 39. He turned 30, I
2: think he turns 39 this season, Huchimaba. during the season. Wow.
1: I'll yeah. tell you, Heveless looks so different in the face to me now I know. Than he used to. His face is a lot rounder. I was going to say, Everything's their
2: defensive component is so much better because they have a different shortstop, but it's Nunez, who is anything but consistent He's he's an, air, he's
1: an air machine.
2: Yeah, and that's not what you want from a shortstop, You know, in case you didn't realize that.
1: No, he's one of those guys who just plays so fast. Does make? <laughs> it's a, I was about to make a bad college basketball analogy. I will not make it. <laughs> well, um, there's,
2: there is one other team in the American League, I think, okay. that will have rookie impact, and that's the, the Rays.
1: Oh, absolutely. Tampa
2: Bay. I mean, they're going to turn over right field...
1: Presumably.
2: (laughs) And perhaps a rotation spot to rookies, to impact rookies. Two guys who were in our top 20 preseason list. Uh, Will Myers, no no introduction necessary. Right. And Chris Archer.
1: Will uh, Myers.
2: A triple A top prospect last year.
1: I mean, to me, it just feels like come May, Will Myers is your right fielder. James Loney gets released. Ben Zobris becomes the most versatile first baseman in the game. (laughs) And that's how the Rays move on there. I'm stunned by today's news that the Rays have decided to, and we're recording this on Friday the 29th, that Roberto Hernandez, nay Fausto Carmona, beat out Jeff Neiman for that starting rotation spot, and Jeff Neiman, with the very difficult to repeat um, arm action, goes to the bullpen, Uh, just Jeff Neiman does not get... Hot very fast.
2: No, so, that was always a criticism of him, even and, when he was a Triple A prospect. Right,
1: and yeah, it's been a consistent crit- And he's in better shape now than he probably ever was. Again, mm. I've said this before on podcasts. But last year when he was in Triple A, he didn't even look like the same guy. He was much trimmer than I'd ever seen him in previous iterations, both in college and in Triple A and the big leagues. And uh, so I think he, you know, and it sounded like he had a good spring. He just got beat out by the former Fausto Carmona. And Roberto Hernandez is a ground ball guy, and this is a team that really accentuates its infield defense. They've got Junel Escobar now. The Rays could go a million different ways, is what, I guess is what I'm saying, Matt.
2: Yeah, and what would... I mean, you're thinking here, you're moving Neiman to the bullpen. Are you hoping that some team is really desperate for a starter? Because obviously Neiman can't go to triple He's out of options. He's, he might even have more than five years of service. Yeah, uh, I
1: think he's close to that.
2: So... If, you're, if you're, you're hoping that another team wants a starting pitcher, are you not? Would that be your thinking in this situation? Or it
1: would be for me because, uh, you know, you also have Jake Rizzi and Chris Archer and I'm leaving out somebody. Mike Montgomery. Uh, Mike Montgomery is another one. Alex Torres. You have so many options at AAA as well. They're pitching depth in the system. And Colomay. uh any oh, who's the left hander who throws really hard. Any Romero. Any Romero's and coming up. He'll be in
2: double A this year. Yeah, I think he finished last year in high A.
1: Right. So I mean, they they really do have a lot of options. And again, Neiman threw well this spring. So only four walks in twenty four innings. I, I I'm not sure. I guess this is the best they can do um, in terms of and, and to their credit, they're not going to go with some kind of tandem starters in the big leagues. <laughs> you know, they're going to go ahead and give. Their five – who they felt their five best starters were, the ball every five days, and that next guy goes to the bullpen. i so, never
2: heard of any of these guys, though.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, and, you know, the other possibility I think to consider here, Matt, is what if the team gets up to a bad start? Then what do they do with David Price? If they get up to a bad start, do they trade David Price before they lose him for nothing? Um, what is he at, two years before he's a free agent? I mean, do you, do you move – are you proactive on David Price? I mean, you just don't know – so many things, so many parts of our conventional wisdom with other major league teams, don't apply <laughs> to Tampa because of their financial situation and because of how creative they are as a franchise.
2: Yeah, they they have price locked in for next season, I believe. I think they? so. So yeah. I think I think this off season or next season will be. I know it's kind of a rhetorical question, but right, I but think I think the fact that they have them locked up for salary next year makes a big difference. And
1: the Verlander contract certainly <laughs> does not enthuse any Rays fan. <laughs> Most people in the industry don't already think that he's gone. Whenever he's a free agent, that he's gone. So now that's even more likely, that he's not a raise for life. You know, Don't get that raise for life tattoo uh, anywhere, Dave. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he knows that. I think his dog, Astro, knows that, and <laughs> all his all his Twitter followers know that. Uh, I'll just say, I'll throw out a couple other rookies who intrigued me, uh, Matt, as we talk about uh, spring training storylines, and uh, we'll wrap up this podcast. I do think it's fascinating that Brandon Maurer is uh, Maurer is making the Mariners out of spring training. Again, this is one of the reasons why, and I think it's you know it's six and one and half dozen the other. Uh, but we definitely thought that the Mariners had a po- possibility of more impact potential in their top ten yep. as close to the majors. Compared to Texas, which is why – at least that's why I had, I think, Seattle ahead of Texas in my farm system rankings. That's fair. It's definitely a dime's worth of difference between those two. Um, and that's really more of a – I was more pessimistic about Martin Perez and Leonis Martin than maybe some other people would have been. Right. Because also we didn't even talk about jerks and Profar who didn't make the opening day roster. Michael didn't make the opening day roster for Texas or not not looking like they're going to make the opening day roster. Profar was optioned. He was – right. Both those guys have already been options. So um, – just just to me, Myr was one of those reasons for Seattle. They had such depth of pitching. Mm-hmm. But is it, is it a little bit surprising to you that he beats a Holson or a Paxton or some of the other guys Hulton, with more yes. hype that he got yeah. to the big leagues?
2: Holson, yes. And, and, and I don't know. He's on the 40-man. Are those other guys? Walker's not. I don't believe any of those Hulton's other guys not. are on like that. Yeah. I think you know, that might have been the biggest factor. Maybe he's just a placeholder, in, in essence. you know, right. like Here's a guy who... We feel it's going to get beat up, so he won't lose all his confidence, you know, pitching in the big leagues.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and again, it's another team where you kind of almost don't know what that ballpark is going to play like this year.
2: Because it's probably easier to sneak guys through waivers during the season than it is right now.
1: Right. That's that's a good point. I think it is, because everyone's, like everyone's got their antenna up right now. Yeah, Is Seattle a contender, in your mind? Uh, um, they're not for me.
2: It would be tough. We'll, one of the things that would have to go right, you know, uh, smoke would have to become... Right. An impact player, middle-of-the-order right. hitter.
1: And that hasn't happened yet in his major league I career. Just
2: <laughs> well, tell me why they're not.
1: Well, that's a, good, that's a better question. I I think why they're not is that I just don't trust their lineup yet, even though it did get better with Mike Morse and Kendris Morales. But what, I think this is just a team that's kind of caught in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they went way too all-in for defense before, and now they seem like they're all-in for offense, and they're... Volume of DHs just seems like their DH replacement ratio seems too high, um, but I we did have we should probably take a couple of these Twitter questions because you mentioned Justin Smoke and this is a good transition as any to take these questions that we asked for on the podcast uh, on the on Twitter. Um, but Matt Winkleman asked like, you know, discuss the reemergence of top prospects such as Justin Smoke and Dominic Brown. I think you and I both believe more in Dom Brown than Justin Smoke. I guess I would say. Smoke is one of the issues. I, I'm, I would love to see the Mariners be a contender, just because that would mean Smoke, Montero, Ackley, mm-hmm. two of those three guys would have come through and been average or above average, big league hitters, to go with the rest of their pieces. And I think if they're a contender, then that means Brandon Maurer and, and Blake Bevan were being solid average or you know decent big league starters. That's a lot of ifs, and I just don't like the look even of Bevan being in their rotation. I think that's a reason why they're not a contender right there. Are you a Bevan you- guy?
2: He's <laughs> he's a rich man's Chris Volstad. That's I love I love him. He's a big man's Chris <laughs> Volstad. He's a
1: bigger Chris Volstad, and Chris Volstad's big six seven. Yeah, so that this guy's six nine. I think he's six eight, six eight, six <laughs> nine, and uh, and you know everything has to sink. But I'm fascinated by how this park will play. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean,
2: will a right hander hit a home run this year? For example,
1: they're certainly banking on it with Morse and Montero. But you talk about kind of culture shock going from. Uh, hitting in spring training in, in the Cactus League <laughs> to hitting in Safeco, those are two extremely different environments. So.
2: It's like jumping from the Midwest League to the Cal League. It
1: is kind of like jumping from the Midwest But in League. reverse. It, that's right. It's, going, being, it's being sent down from the Cal League to the <laughs> Midwest League.
2: But to answer the question about Don Brown versus Smoke, yes. um, you know I, th- I think we understand that tall pitchers need time to work through their pitching mechanics. Yeah, I think the same is true of hitters. And Don Brown is a tall hitter. Is. It's 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 funny to see him and in, and uh, in Ben Revere in the same Phillies outfield when they
1: you know they're both <laughs> competing
2: for a fly ball. It's like,
1: <laughs> well, I, if I were Don Brown, I'd get out of Ben Revere's way because he's probably better at it, and then Ben Revere could give it to Don Brown to throw it in. There you go. But um, but yeah. I think
2: I think that same thing applies to the hitting prospects. We're seeing that with Don Brown now in, in, in try number three right. as a major leaguer, Brandon Belt. Right. Six five hitter who, you know, gets tied up inside. But
1: we saw it with Jason Hayward, his sophomore yeah. year, basically his second year in the big leagues where he really had struggled making adjustments.
2: Major league pitchers and catchers know where to pitch these guys inside.
1: And they know more now than they probably ever knew because yeah. of the video and the advanced scouting that we have now. Um you know, Smoke, two seventeen last year, he's a career two twenty three hitter, it's a career six eighty three ops. You know, again, I don't know what to make of spring training numbers. All I know is I really thought that guy was gonna hit as a minor, as a college player, and in the minor leagues, I didn't know if I thought he'd be a star. I thought I always thought Pedro Alvarez had more impact potential, more power than Justin Smoke. Mm-hmm. But I definitely expected more than 217 out of Justin Smoke. So. The
2: breakout will be for real for Smoke if he hits from the left side of the plate, which he has not done as a professional really. That's been the key for, for any most. extended stretch. So,
1: and and uh, so he compounds his difficulty with throwing in switch hitting. So you really you're talking about twice as much BP basically. Um, so it's just, he this guy, just I, I always thought Dustin Ackley would hit a lot better than Dustin Ackley has hit as a pro. I definitely thought the same thing for Justin Smoke, but I'm actually been more disappointed in, in Ackley because I held him up to a higher standard mm-hmm. than Justin Smoke. So um, that, that's a that's a great uh, comment. Are there are other um, other guys in that Justin Smoke, Don Brown I, I threw out Lonnie Chisenhall as another yeah. possibility in here, guy who's not a rookie, hasn't quite established himself, feels like. Now, the Indians, have, the Indians aren't relying on on him anymore. Michael Bourne comes in. Nick Swisher comes in. They've added some veteran ballast to this team. They feel like they're one of the more interesting clubs to me. I'd be a lot I more so interested in them if not for their starting pitching.
2: Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing because they got some very stable uh, assets in, in Bourne and Swisher. I mean, you, you know what you're going to get. They're, right. they're not all-stars, but you know what you're getting.
1: Reliable that's what players. the
2: Indians need. And yeah. But the rotation, unless Trevor Braumer is a Cy Young award contender.
1: And he's already been optioned out as well. So. Yeah, I
2: mean Zach McAllister could be okay as he as he comes back, but what's what's the upside there?
1: Rolling the dice on Eduardo Jimenez, uh which I, I mean that in the literal sense of the word because of the <laughs> dice rolling uh, arm <laughs> dice rolling arm action. Um uh Japers. I, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. I would
2: caution people about reading too much into Chisholm's triple A numbers. Okay. Because uh Columbus is the most extreme uh hitters park in the international league, which I didn't realize either. Until uh, this park factors thing so a couple weeks that, ago,
1: I missed that in your park factors. That's story. An,
2: an, an extreme home run and runs overall park in Triple A and in the International League, I should say. The only the only one that actually favors hitters to any great degree
1: in the entire International in, League. In
2: the IL, it's the one.
1: Not even Durham.
2: It does, but not anywhere near Columbus levels.
1: That's fascinating, and apparently they think it's going to change at Durham with the new building they built beyond the left field line. So, um that was that? And I'm sorry, to, I didn't read this in depth enough. I'm, I just kind of glazed over the international league part of it. But did Columbus change when they made renovations of the ballpark, or is it just the, that a lot of hits went out of the rest of the league?
2: Um, no, it's a uh, Huntington Field, the, the new park they opened in '09. Okay, is dramatically different. It's because of the city, the, the lot they're on in Columbus. There's just less real estate to, to use, and they have practically no foul territory. So hmm. there's there's hardly any foul outs there. So
1: that's fascinating. I did not know that. Um, Japers asked about two players we already talked about. Whose story performance were you more impressed by this spring, Brandon Maurer or Jackie Bradley Jr.? Um, I guess we were probably both going to answer Bradley on that. I, uh, think, I think Bradley was a bit Bradley was a little bit bigger surprise to me, I guess. Okay. Well, just for me, when you, especially when you compare when the fact that Blake Bevan is in this big league rotation, how low is the bar set to make this big league rotation? Uh, I hope Blake Bevin's family is not well, listening. To we should this. We, apparently on We should mention this
2: that uh, the prize of uh, of the Montero trade or the other the Pineda trade Noesi was sent out very very early. In and training I was a hec- training. I was Noesi guy. Minor league so got, option.
1: I was a Hector. I and mean, How did he get a fourth option?
2: Uh, because he didn't spend much time in full season ball until right. until he became he had Tommy kind of a John guy.
1: and he was uh, uh yes yeah, so he's a little bit older but I was always a, a Hector Noesi guy not always but later as he, as he emerged I was a Hector Noesi pretty much
2: as soon as minor league camp opened whoop, see, you, see yeah, you later he is Hector
1: not, he's not rewarded my faith and he was brutal last year yeah, with a was. capital B so um, yeah I think Japers both of both of us think you know, the bar not that the Red Sox have great outfielders either. But Ryan Sweeney's been a good fourth outfielder. Daniel Nava, we know what he can do. J.J. Cooper fave. Um, but Jackie Bradley making Johnny that Gorms. roster. If he's making that, that's right. If, he's, if, he's, if Jackie Bradley is really making that roster, I think that's a bigger surprise. Because uh, it doesn't seem like the Red Sox really have any reason to rush him.
2: Well, it, yeah, and the Red Sox, given their salary commitments, have designs on contending. Correct. I think that's fair to say.
1: Great. I think that's a great point. And then Doug Plored asks, uh, how many stars for Vegas for Wheeler and I think he meant starts at Vegas for uh, he's a five star pitcher Wheeler. that's right <laughs> supposing good health and all does the Santana news change the timeline there Matt I don't think it does
2: Do you no um, I think they have enough fit starters to get through uh, <laughs> This is, it's an interesting situation because if Markham and Santana are unable to give well we know Santana is going to give them nothing but if Markham gives them nothing Things are, things are going to get ugly in a hurry there because you're, you're, it's John Neese, established major league starter. He's good. He's quality. Yep. It's Matt Harvey, who's probably going to hit a wall in the second half. It's Dylan G coming back from shoulder surgery. Yes. It's what Jeremy Hefner. Jeremy Hefner is
1: listed uh, and, right now on their MLB it, depth chart as their fourth on the I know Aaron Laffey is in the
2: picture, right? Who, who's, who's,
1: who's, I think Aaron Laffey's in the picture. How who's, about Henry Mejia?
2: Who's fifth on the rotation, projected rotation? Well, how
1: about I think Henry Mejia think. is right now?
2: No, well, I, th- I think I think Laffy they are gonna have to add him to the forty-man. I think <laughs> I think Laffey, Laffy Taffy is the way they're looking.
1: That is amazing. That's really just there's just not a lot of options. So I uh, I think it's actually a a really fair question that this when you just look, pull back and look at the whole situation, it really could speed up the timetable for Zach Wheeler. And I, I guess that the the whole thing is how much will do the Mets have as an organization to keep him there? Well, I mean, first off, you're in a battery with. Uh, Travis Darno, who is going to be the mayor of uh, Las Vegas, he's in Las Vegas for a second straight year. Worst places, I guess, in the minor leagues to play two years in a row if you're a player than uh, than Las Vegas, but but that, especially if you're a hitter.
2: That's a good point. I mean, it's a good experience. Those two working together, maybe they come up in tandem. Uh, I, th- I think what the biggest key would just be managing Wheeler's workload so that he doesn't go too far beyond 180 innings or so. I think that's really what the Mets' goal is.
1: Right, it should be their goal. I mean, right. what are they playing for? I'm, place. Just, I'm just looking at other possible starters, I mean, in their 40-man roster there just aren't a whole lot of names there. Uh, who re- even our parcel yeah, are possible. Yeah, uh,
2: Aaron Laffey and Carlos Torres would be their big, like, uh, minor league imports who could make some starts for them.
1: Yeah, I mean... Both would
2: have to be added to the 40-man.
1: Maybe, you know. I mean, even like, you know, when you're talking about their, I mean, uh, Corey Mazzoni, would they skip Corey Mazzoni up there just to no. try to give Wheeler more development time? They value Mazzoni, do they not?
2: They do. I don't know that that they're sold on him being an impact starter, but
1: um, it's pretty ugly. In other words, yeah. I
2: mean, I, oh, the pitching in the second half is going to be <laughs> it's going to be brutal.
1: And that was, I think, a, a, a question you wanted to throw out there as a kind of a final question: Who's the team? Well, fra- how did you phrase a team that could lose a hundred games? How?
2: Yeah. What, what would be like the, the, the team that's not generally considered the last place team, but could really bottom out and be worse than we think?
1: Well, I guess. I do think that the White side, I think the American League Central is very volatile. I think all the teams in the American League Central are volatile. I think things could go wrong in Detroit and they could still win the division, but their bullpen's very unsettled. Mm-hmm. Bruce Rondon, a rookie storyline we were watching, that he did not make the big league team. Um, I think everyone expects, I mentioned we were going to talk about the Twins earlier. I think everyone expects the Twins to be bad. I think they could be epically bad. I think they could be just as bad because their pitching staff looks so yeah. ugly. They could be just as bad, wins loss wise, as the Astros. Maybe not that bad, but I am fascinated to watch the Eric, Aaron Hicks career, and we'll see if he can make that same kind of jump uh, that Denard Span made. Although Span made it from Triple A, but Hicks really didn't perform for the better part of two years. Then had a solid, but not spectacular, Double A. I mean, he did the Eastern League last year. People liked him, but didn't love him, right? Correct. I Man, that's fair. But he had a great spring training had a three home run game. Nice. Uh, definitely seems to have improved his—and this is, again, in the Grapefruit League, not the Cactus League. That's impressive, yeah. So he seems to have improved his swing from the left side, and I think he's going to be a guy who can help you without hitting because he will draw walks. I think he will mm-hmm. steal some bases, although he's never been a great, efficient base stealer. I think he'll be a good defender. So he should accumulate the big league experience to become a good offensive player eventually because the tools are there. I don't expect him to be a good offensive player in 2013, though. No. And no. I expect that team to be pretty ugly in, uh, in in Minnesota.
2: You mentioned the White Sox at first. What was the your reason for that? Well, the
1: good that? guys, I, well, they, they lost A.J., and they're replacing him with Tyler Flowers. And A.J. was not just a good leader of a pitching staff. It was a veteran pitching staff and knew how to handle it, and a lot of the same guys that he'd handled – but also a guy who hit 27 home runs last year, and even if he didn't have that in prior years, he was still a plus offensively behind the plate. So yep. I think that's a huge loss for a team whose margin for error isn't that. That's big. a huge downgrade. It's a huge downgrade. The chances of Jake Peavy, you know, doing what he did last year Banks again is already
2: injured. Floyd has got injured for the first time last year. And that this a, is
1: I think they have a disaster potential there. Yeah. So I, I I love what they did last year. I, I don't. I think they got a lot of credit for. Their farm system last year, and, you know, they did get production from rookies, but it wasn't necessarily their farm system. I mean, Nate Jones and Jose Quintana and Hector Santiago. I like Hector Santiago. Yeah. Addison Reed. But I feel like there's a lot of potential for those guys that not perform as well as they did last so in year. In other
2: words, Mets-White Sox World Series is what we're saying. That's right.
1: That's what we're saying. It's a Robbie Alomar end-of-career spectacular <laughs> between the White Sox and the Mets. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and then I guess their collapse potential. Uh, is there another team you think has collapse potential in either league?
2: That's not talked about widely. Yeah. The Mets, um, I think,
1: I guess, actually were your pick. Were yeah, right here.
2: just because of the pitching situation.
1: I picked them even lower than the Marlins.
2: I think their offense is going to be okay, but the pitching. Uh,
1: well, Matt is shaking his head no. So that's what that moment of silence I really love was. I love
2: Nice and Harvey, but maybe not 200 innings of them.
1: That's, I think, their big challenge is how long can they keep Zach Wheeler in A, and how can they stretch out Matt Harvey because they need – it's almost for their – Sake of their team not being a joke or a laugh, because it's not a great outfield either. I mean, it's a pretty bad. <laughs> I'm putting it lightly. <laughs> it's Duda. It's Duda, Baxter, Newenhaise. Am I leaving someone out? Uh, I, I think you're looking at center field
2: platoon of Valdespin and Cowgill. Oh. Wow. I kind of like Valdespin in, in a reserve type platoon type role. Role. Um, he's
1: like a he's, he's like a less good Leori Garcia. Yeah,
2: he's got he's got explosive tools, but right now the application is spotty.
1: And he's, what, five years older than Leori Garcia? So we know a little <laughs> bit more about Valdezpin. And the makeup has never been universally praised no, no, no. with Jordani Valdezpin. So, yeah, it's a pretty ugly – it could get pretty ugly in New York, I think. Um, and especially just the, the National League. I mean, well, obviously the schedules were different. Uh, the, we could talk about all that more in a, in a whole preseason podcast. I guess the Rockies the could be a team that could bottom out. That's a good one. And they stood out mm-hmm. to me, Matt, for not really having – I mean, Nolan Arenado got sent down and basically lost the third base job to Chris Nelson, which makes sense. Chris Nelson played pretty decent at the end of last year. He's out of options. He's a first-round pick. You know, Arenado hasn't played above Double A, so I get it. Um, but they really don't have any rookies of any import uh, yeah, looking, on their big league roster.
2: Looking for a fantasy impact, I settled on on Ryan Wheeler, just based on the fact that he's you know, fives across the board and he's got A experience.
1: And at some point, Todd Helton will stop playing, so right. maybe he's at first base. Um, I know they have Colvin there, and they have the versatility of uh, Pacheco, but it's an odd team with Reed Brignac. Looking like he's going I make the everyday team as the backup shortstop.
2: Uh, I forgot all about him.
1: Yeah, well, he's forgettable. I mean, he hit 150. It seems like I mean he's fairly forgettable. <laughs> he's
2: going to replace Jonathan Herrera with style.
1: And that's it. I mean, it is not really a, just not really a lot of. They're there with this. Not a lot of interesting things going on with the Rockies. Big league roster. I'm more fascinated by their
2: minor leagues. Well, they are. If they get Obaldo Jimenez, they're that much closer to reuniting the 07 rotation. They just signed Aaron Cook. They have, That's Jef, right, they they have b- Jeff Francis. Where's Sean Chacon? Do they bring <laughs> Sean <laughs> Chacon back and go
1: back to 05?
2: <laughs> Franklin Morales? He, uh, he might be available. Who who is that guy? The the right hander from Florida, and, uh, Josh Fogg? Oh yeah, get Josh Fogg back.
1: Nice pull, Josh Fogg. <laughs> I forgot he was a rock. He pitched
2: that crucial uh, wild card playing game for them, I believe, in '07.
1: So this is uh, this is what Walt Weiss is going to make his major league debut with as a major league manager. It's these guys. Um, you know, I like Juan Nicasio. I like Julius Cusin. They do get Jorge De La Rosa back, but the fact is, I just think it's unusual for a team that's in a rebuilding stage. It's not. I don't think a contender. I don't think anyone thinks is a contender to have so few rookies um, ready to help their team. But I think that's a little bit of a comment on their big league roster and a little bit of a comment on the way they drafted those couple years ago. 06 to 08, they really had some real struggles in terms of how those draft guys turned out for them. (laughs) And they
2: actually won the Ian (laughs) Stewart-Casey Weathers trade, it looks like. They did, which is, (laughs) yeah.
1: We won, you know.
2: (laughs) We got DJ Lemayhu
1: And Tyler Colvin. Tyler Colvin, Colvin, yeah. They they won handily. I think they definitely won handily, so... Um, Matt great podcast I didn't know we were going to talk that long but uh, more than an hour on well, when the podcast, Rockies come
2: up it's hard to shut me up
1: <laughs> that's what it is and we didn't even do it all on Zach Wheeler so we thank uh, our listeners for the questions great questions as always you can tweet at us at Matt Eddy BA and at John Manuel BA or you can email us at podcast at com. and we'll be back next week with another professional podcast as well as our Monday college podcast so for Matt I'm John we'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast so long everybody